Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins, and I'm joined once again by Ryan Seymour. On today's show, Ryan and I sit down with Cody Markell, founder and executive director of Turner's Heroes and former Vanderbilt tight end. We talk with Cody about his experience in the program, what he thinks needs to happen to improve the team going forward, and what Turner's Hero is all about and the great work that they are doing in the community. But before we get started, we can't forget to... All right, we have the pleasure today of being joined by Cody Markle, uh, the former tight end for the Vanderbilt Commodores and the founder and executive director of Turner's Heroes. Cody, thank you so much for spending a little time with us here today. It's a pleasure. All right, all right. Well, you got as you guys know, we here at Believe in Vanderbilt Football are brought to you by betonline.ag. The college football season is in full swing, and although you may not be at the game, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Cody, I don't know how much football you've gotten to see so far this season, but is there uh, any team that's standing out to you that you think is going to go ahead and win it all in the college football playoff this year? I mean, it might be the clear front runner, but after seeing the Alabama Georgia game this past weekend, I mean, you kind of have to say Alabama. I mean, yeah. How do yeah. you replace two first round receivers with maybe two even better receivers? I just, it's crazy. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was texting with a guy I know and, and it was him. I was like, dude, like John Mechie, like I hadn't heard of him before this weekend. And it's just another dude who like runs like a four, two, five. Like, it's just like yeah. you replace Henry okay. Ruggs with a faster guy. It's not even fair. Yeah. Ryan, how about you? You won the Alabama bandwagon. You go in Clemson. You go in someone else. Well, no, I got to go with probably Alabama. I mean, after watching that game against Georgia last week, um, Alabama is just clearly the better team. I mean, it's unbelievable. It was a close matchup at first, but it does not take long for Nick Saban and that offense just to get just to start pulling away there towards the second half. It was close. That's against the, the best secondary uh, in the country, I think. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That Georgia secondary is me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That that's tough. I mean, to be fair, Clemson did pretty well against another team from the state of Georgia. Seventy three to seven is nothing to sneeze that is at. Unbelievable for a I conference know, game. Points. Yes. Yes. I didn't. I did not get to see that game, but I saw, I saw the score and I saw the seventy three. I mean, that is just unbelievable. I mean, you're scoring every possession with those types of numbers. So, I mean, clearly those guys got it going on. Wasn't it fifty six at half too? It was like yeah, it was fifty. It was, fi- it was fifty two to and seven at halftime. Yeah, yeah, gosh, oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne played one drive in the second half. Um, so yeah, those two teams are the two favorites right now. Clemson plus one fifty, Alabama plus two seventy five, followed by Ohio State at plus three fifty. Then everyone else is way down there at sixteen to one or worse odds. So no matter what your sport is. Uh, from game spreads to totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the casino as well online. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, let's hop right into it. So Cody, for the so many people not may not realize that you're actually originally from the Badger State. Coming from Middleton, how did you end up down here in the Music City? Because not a lot of uh, uh, Wisconsin natives really make their way down here to the Mid South. Yeah, so I guess I kind of started because Andy Ludwig, who was the offensive coordinator here at Vanderbilt, he was actually at Wisconsin for my freshman, I guess eighth grade through sophomore year of high school. And so we, I actually went to school with his son, who's a year below us. Um, he was a walk-on fullback at Iowa, and now he's at Utah with, with his dad. Um, but we went to school together. So the little high school football that Ludwig watched in Wisconsin was our team. Um, so <laughs> after, or kind of during our senior year, uh, he just kind of reached out and he said, hey, would you be be willing to travel down here and I said of course so I would say like 
like towards the end of my recruitment, it was between Vanderbilt, Northwestern, and some Ivy League schools. And I mean, Vanderbilt and Northwestern school-wise are very similar, but I don't know why you'd choose Evanston, Illinois over Nashville, Tennessee. So it was a pretty easy decision after that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome playing for Coach Ludwig. Just knowing him for throughout high school was incredibly helpful. And we actually ran a pretty we took a few ideas from his offense and put them into our high school offense. So I had a, a little, I had a little bit of a head start coming in. That's never a bad thing. Uh, obviously no. knowing the, uh, the OC coming into your college career, you named some pretty notable schools there, heard Northwestern, uh, a couple other Ivies. Uh, you and I had a very different high school, uh, career path, I guess you might say. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. That's, uh, yeah. that's terrific. But, uh, I like but, to be. I'll um, say I like. I like to be a trailblazer too, because I doubt there has been another person from Wisconsin to play, uh, at least for Vanderbilt. Maybe I can't think of one who play who has played in the SEC, and I can only name one other guy who's really from the North who's in the SEC, which is Mac Brown, who's a friend of mine from Minnesota and from the Minneapolis area. So, like, I mean, if you're born if you're born up there, you usually stay up there in Big Ten country. But I broke the mold, which which. I like to say, and I mean, there's no doubt what who the better conference is, and I'll I have to have that argument all the time. But yeah, the only other guy I sure. can think of is uh, the former Alabama guard Ross Pearsonbacher. It was from Iowa. Yeah. So, but that that's really about it. Like as as yeah. far as those you know Big Ten country guys coming down to the SEC. I was gonna say, man, the big the big Northwestern guys, man, those are all that's for the O line capital up there. Those guys just spit corn fed. Big boys. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare that you see those guys that get traveled down to the Southeastern Conference. But I just uh, every time I think of like that type of football, I just think of big, like country farmer, cornbread guys that uh, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> was, I, I know. Was... I know plenty of them. I mean, I grew up like <laughs> I grew up five minutes from Camp Randall, like legitimately. So I was. I, I knew I never wanted to go to Wisconsin because I kind of wanted to leave my leave home and explore new things. But I mean, I grew up going to a bunch of games, and I I, I mean, I knew a bunch of those guys. That's and all Matt's alma mater. So yeah, yeah, that that is yeah. my alma mater. And you know, because yeah. you went to Middleton High School, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually used to stock liquor in the cops in Middleton in, in the in the grocery in, in the couple of the grocery stores out there and spent a lot of time out in Woodman's over on the west side as well. Oh, um, love it. To, to pay my way to, to pay my way through college. So yeah, that we met we met someday back in the day. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we you know we we, we very well might have. Um, uh, you know, I, I I'm a little bit older than you, so probably if you were in the liquor section when you were like. 10 11 there are no laws that's true there are no laws especially when you're drinking corbell brandy fun fact about the state of wisconsin the state of wisconsin drinks more corbell brandy than the rest of the world combined um (laughs) yeah so uh yeah brandy sevens are are something that you rarely see outside the state of wisconsin but doggone it they're pretty good uh does it get hot i mean does it does it get does it get hot up there like nashville summers i feel like there's something particular about nashville like you get kind of all four seasons here in the 80s yeah. And then, oh gosh. But so tr- no, coming coming down in yeah, yeah. I was no gonna say coming down to Nashville was it like a big adjustment? Like was coming down to Nashville a big adjustment for you? Yes. So I really struggled, like legitimately, really struggled my first summer. Like there's because in Wisconsin there's no humidity, and here there's that's oh. all there is. <laughs> so like yeah. summer training and even that first camp, I. I like was struggling so bad. Um, That's how I like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Well, it not, doesn't get a whole lot better, but it definitely got better through the years to where the fact, like I can't go home anymore. Cause I get too cold. Like my, my blood switched from cold blood to warm blood. So definitely feels like I'm at home in this weather now. Yeah. I'm starting to adjust. I've been here for three and a half years now or so, and I'm just yeah. starting to be able to adjust to it, but still, like the, the the summers are just completely oppressive for me. Like I, I'm a I'm a big dude, I'm, and I get I get pretty sweaty, and it's just it's still like I don't know how people do it. Like who just who are, who are from around here for I mean you Ryan dude I mean you're from Southeast Georgia. It must get it, it gets yeah. just as bad if not worse down there. It. Well, yeah, I mean combined with the humidity, but also another big thing, and people might call me out on this. They might say I'm lying, but. 
to me personally, there are there are no bugs in Nashville, Tennessee. And people might say that's unbelievable, but go down and live in the swamp of like Okie Finucky Swamp, like St. Mary's, Georgia down there, that's just all marsh. It is it is hell. Like I could not even get through a practice. I could not if you did not wear long socks or bug spray to practice, you were not gonna get through it. It was unbelievable. That was like the biggest thing. That was like the biggest thing when I got to Nashville, I was like, Y'all know there's like no bugs here, right? People are like, oh my god, what are you talking about? Like they're horrible. And I'm sure I'm sure in Wisconsin there's probably even less. But like oh, when I got to Nashville we got to Nashville, I was like, Y'all know what sand gnats are? And they're like, like mosquitoes? And I'm like, no, no. Y'all don't even y'all don't even know what like pain is. Like so that was the biggest thing for me. Like humidity, yeah, it's pretty bad there in the southeast. But when I got to Nashville, I was like, there's no bugs here. I don't know. That's just me. People I mean, go down to yeah. South Georgia for like a few days and spend and go outside for more than like half an hour in like the summer heat and you're gonna be like oh my god this is miserable <laughs> no thanks man no thanks i mean like i grew up in vermont new hampshire which is also like which i can appreciate cody why you want to leave wisconsin go just go anywhere else that was yeah. kind of my exact same situation i'm like all my friends stayed like went university of new hampshire university of vermont all that kind of stuff i was like no i i can't do it i gotta go like far far away and sort of just make my own make my own way which is how i ended up at uw in the first place so um but during your time here obviously you came down with coach ludwig uh you know right after he had had made his way down from madison you know you made it to bowl games as both a freshman and a junior you know you you guys had some pretty successful teams what do you think made those particular groups so successful yeah um i would say the primary reason is having, uh, and I call them guys, and I put that quotation marks. And I have I listened to both like Justin School and Bruno Reagan on this podcast, um, just because they're both good friends of mine. But having guys like that, and I think you kind of know what I mean by that. And my freshman year, it was guys like Andrew Jelks, uh, Sean Dowling, who was kind of like the senior leader in the in the tight end room. Even yeah. guys, young guys at that point, like Kyle Shermer, um, and they kind of, they kind of willed the team in a way. And I guess you can call that just like locker room leadership. But I think it's, a, I think it even goes a step beyond that. And so those really successful teams, they really had those type of guys leading from the front. And I think having that, that type of leadership, especially on the O line, and I'll, I'll say that, especially for junior year, um, having guys like, Bruno and Justin and EJ and I don't know who I'm missing, but I'm missing some, but having, having those guys kind of being the anchor of our offense and the anchor up front, I think that is something that's, that's crucial to, to a team success. And especially when you you play in a run first offense, like Ludwig's um, that is something that is crucial. And especially me being a, being a blocking tight end, I kind of, 50-50 consider myself an O-lineman and I think those guys would agree that I kind of get so crap talked <laughs> um, like an O-lineman uh, especially from the O-line coach and and Justin and Bruno and all those guys it was, it was always joking around so I think having those guys lead the way especially on the offensive side of the ball is something that's crucial yeah I mean we love linemen here so uh, you know it, it, it's an offensive lineman podcast so you know we're, we're really here for it that. seems that way it does seem that way. we seem to have a lot of have a lot of big guy guests come on the show and maybe, maybe we should just more. change the name to you know to believe in O-line, plenty more to come right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hey it starts up front in the trenches guys I mean I heard you really mention, you know so heard you mention some of those guys you know obviously notable names um you know I guess guys that were freshmen when I was a senior Andrew Jelks uh, you, you mentioned uh, Sean in the tight end room. Those are all guys that I kind of took under my wing when I first, or when I was leaving and those guys just first came in. That's so funny. I, uh, I love hearing stories like that. Those guys were leaders on the team. Obviously I wasn't there as those guys got older, but yeah, uh, yeah I have to agree. You know, the guys that were big guys when I was in school, you know, obviously we got Zach, huge name, Jordan, Jordan Matthews, uh, Jordan Rogers, the guys, uh, as you call them, the guys can have such a big impact, um, you know, on the success of every single team. So, you know, the last few years, obviously, from a fan's experience, you know, everyone wants to win, go to a bowl, have a winning season, go to a bowl game. You know, is uh, do we have those guys or what's the disconnect? Are those guys gone? Like, 
do we not have any of those guys anymore? I mean, you know. It's weird because you think there should they sh- there should be those guys. There should and, be right, and that's that's yeah. what I would think right is like and, you know every single year you're going to have those guys. Yeah, you'd think, and it like I think you don't really figure out who those guys are until you face some adversity, right? So everyone can be that type of guy in the off season, and everyone can be that type of guy when you start three and zero like we did my uh, sophomore year, um, but as soon as you hit that adversity. And I, I remember Bruno talking about that, that sophomore season where that kind of Alabama loss kind of just completely blew us off the train tracks. And I would agree completely with that. Like our, the whole like mindset of the team, like completely shifted um, from like week three to four that year. And so, I mean, even, even on that team, we had guys like Bruno and Justin, and I, I, I don't think they were as, as ready to assume that leadership role as they were the following year, which is why I think we had a little bit more success that following year, but um, he, he, it's, I guess my point, in, my, my point yeah. in saying some of that, my, I guess my point in saying some of those things were, is that, you know, every year you expect to have the guys, every year you expect to have some really good players that are going to bring the leadership in the locker room. When those guys do face adversity, who are the ones that need to get those guys, I guess, back on track? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that starts like we, like we said, our pro aligned podcast, I think that starts in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I mean, those, and I know coach Mason kind of goes by this model too, but that's, that's, that's where the game is decided is those six inches on each side. And mm-hmm. so if you have, if you have some badass dudes on the O line or badass dudes on the D line who are willing, even in the face of adversity to get that push, I think that, like you don't have to verbally call people out or that type of thing. Even if it's like a nonverbal thing, like you see this on film, you see these guys straining up front. I think that really like sends echoes throughout the team. And so I think last year um, kind of not having guys or the guys who had graduated like Bruno and Justin, Kyle um, and others who kind of were the anchor point of the offense in terms of like who people look to, um and who when mm-hmm. that when the chips went down like that's 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 who the offense looked to uh on the sideline um and like they were kind of our leveling agent and so we needed guys to kind of especially last year step up into that role and um it just seemed like when adversity hit it, no one kind of filled that void and i think that that can be extremely detrimental to a both mentally and physically to and I'm spaking solely for offense just because that's where I yeah. spent. Who are some of the time, coaches? Yeah. I, who are some of the main leaders on, I guess, uh, were there any coaches in particular that stood out to you that maybe were great motivators that kind of really maybe stepped in the shoes of some of the players that say, for instance, some of the guys might have been down. Were, were there any coaches that kind of filled those roles? Yeah. And I think um, Coach Amo Aaron Moorhead, who is now left this year to be with the Eagles uh, wide receiver coach, he was really – one of those guys like pre-practice. Um, I mean, I know, you know, some of those long weeks in the middle of the season where things are kind of just like sludging along practice Tuesdays mm-hmm. and Wednesday mornings. He was always the guy getting guy, guys pumped up. Um, and he always, he always really stood out to me in terms of being, being that anchor and being that motivator. Um, but I, I, I really do think that that type of, leadership and that type of energy has to come from players because coaches can only do so much uh, to a certain extent um, and being yeah. that guy especially in game um yeah coaches are there to coach and make adjustments but they're really not there mm-hmm. to to like mindset's a very a, a, a very player focused thing in my opinion so that's a great point yeah that's a great point i, I completely agree i think uh the coach can you know the coach can only lead you to the water and hole, but you're the one that's going to have to drink, right? I mean, the players at the end of the yeah. day are going to be the ones who have to ultimately step up. Um, I guess kind of jumping into this season a little bit. Uh, obviously, we've been, we've seen you know what's been going on here the last three weeks, and obviously this past week having to postpone the game due to COVID. Yeah. Um, so this season is is like no other season, right? With yeah. only conference matchups, you know what is. What are your expectations or what should Vanderbilt's expectations be going forward for the rest of the season? I mean, I think 
I, the expectation is always to win, right? Um, and yes, we've had, and I personally would love to see us at full strength because we have not been at full strength because of COVID issues, because of that type of thing. Like even even A and M when we were closest to full strength, we were missing Keon, who is a vital part to that running back room. And I think he's someone who's and Dimitri on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and Dimitri. Yeah. So I I would love to see us at full strength. I have no idea when that's going to happen. I'd have no idea if that's going to happen. And that's I mean that's certainly not an excuse to not perform up to the level that we should expect. Um, so I think it's, it's been, since it's my first year out and I know, I, I'm sure you know what that experience is like, Ryan, like your first year, not on the sidelines. It, it sucks. Um, says because you, you're, you're used to knowing everything that's going on in the locker room and what all the meetings are like and what's being said, what's being game plan, that type of thing. And you're kind of like taken out of that role, um, which which is like, it's like blinding almost because you don't really know what's going on anymore. Um, so I, it's been hard. That's to why watch we have shows them. like this. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have, that's why we have podcasts like this to bring on yeah. former players and yeah. guys to sit there and, and talk about the what ifs and what do you think's going on and <laughs> yeah. all these speculations. <laughs> week one seems so promising, right? We oh, played so a, promising. A good, oh gosh. A good, yes. a good A&M team. A true freshman first game, true freshman quarterback first game, first game with two new coordinators. That A and M team ends up beating Florida, who I actually would have had picked as my favorite to win the SEC this year. No, I absolutely hate them, but it's been a little bit discouraging to kind of see no improvement in either in actually like looking worse in week three than we did week one. And I think I think that's the most concerning part for me. And I think that. That's something that has to be fixed. I know like South Carolina, we had 56 eligible guys, which doesn't help, but. Um, how, how does a team, how does coach, um, I was just going to ask, how, how does coach Mason motivate a team like this? That is, uh, and obviously is missing a few, uh, excuse me, a few key players. Um, you know, how does, uh, how does coach Mason motivate this team going forward? You know, we've got seven games ahead of us, you know, how do we, I mean, the ultimate goal, like you said, is to win more games. How do we, how do we win more games? I mean, how does coach Mason motivate these guys? I think there was a lot of hyper, there's a lot of hype around this season. You know, there was a lot of uh, expectations, you know, specifically expecting big things. We've kind of been, you know, every single year, I don't want to say I'm giving my hopes up, but you know, every single year I've got high hopes for the, for the program. Uh, we start off, we're 0 three, uh, we just had to postpone a game due to COVID. You know, how does uh, how do the coaches or how does Coach Mason specifically motivate this team going forward with with uh, seven games left? We're still so early, you know. And I, you know, I don't want to keep like it seems like every week. It's yeah, it seems like every week I come on this show and I'm just some like, you know, beating a dead horse as far as you know. Hey, what can we do to get better? Or where can we? You know, how can we win football games? Um, but you know, it's it's still the same same questions. It's just how do we how do we move forward, and what are your thoughts on how is this team going to get motivated going into their fourth game of the season? For sure, um, I think we have to kind of go back to the mindset that we had when we were our most successful, and I think those years in particular. I mean, we had I think even that junior year, which I would say was probably our our best team I, through my. Um, four years i think we had a three-game losing streak or maybe a four-game losing streak at some point during that year and so i mean those things do happen in, in football they just do and so kind of what our mindset was at that point was get back to the middle no matter what happens like don't get too high and i think maybe after that a&m game even though we 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 didn't win and we need to win um we may be listening to the kind of kind of the world around us like oh we overperformed oh like maybe we're something special and we got too high and then after LSU crushed us we got too low and I, I think we need to start getting back to the middle and getting back to like just I know it's it's cliche but putting on your your work cap bringing your lunch pill to work every day and no matter how many guys are practicing if there's 40 guys are eligible or there's 90 guys are eligible getting 11 on that field on both sides of the ball and and practicing as hard as we can playing as hard as we can yeah what if, i mean obviously this is a great opportunity i think there's even more hype for me personally i think this next game against old miss 
is going to be the most yeah. critical game, critical game of the season. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. Vanderbilt has a huge opportunity here, having you know having a week off to not only rest your bodies, which is so big, um, and also having another opportunity to scout Ole Miss. Really have uh, a great few weeks for the coaches to prep and put good plays in place. I think the biggest thing that I noticed, I guess, when I was in school, my last two years was just getting some momentum. Right. For I think sure. just maybe. If, I think if we. I think if we can win this next game and just give us some momentum moving forward for the rest of the season, we built on that. I guess my, when my junior year, we went uh, six and six. And played Cincinnati in the uh, Liberty Bowl, but just having that like swagger to us, just like feeling confident and just feel like, 100%. hey, we can do this, and starting to believe in each other again. I think just having a little bit of momentum, which is why I think this next game against Ole Miss is like the most critical game of the season. I obviously, you know, Coach Frank would say, hey, the next game is the most important, but I really think this next game is going to be the most critical. If this, if this is a blowout, I don't, I don't think we win a game this year. You know. I, I totally agree. And I think, I think part of that is we, I mean, we should, we should be healthier by then to according to protocols and that type of thing, praying, um, but we should be healthier. And yes, having the bye week we basically have a double bye week going into this game. We have three weeks to watch film and prepare for these guys. So I, I totally agree. I also think that Ole Miss, I know I love Lane Kiffin as much as the next guy, but I don't think they're the most fundamentally, and they never really are, the most fundamentally sound or um, disciplined team. And, I mean, they're, they are fun to watch, no doubt. Um, and they're, that offense can put up points, so that offense can also, as you saw against Arkansas, turn the ball over seven times in a game and throw six picks in a game. And You can say that I mean, about both Mississippi schools this year. Yeah, true. And so I think, I think, and I believe this is a game after Ole Miss. So being able to get a little momentum from this Ole Miss game going into that Mississippi State game, I think that can make all the difference in the world of being 0 and 5 or being 2 and 3. So I, I totally would agree. Yeah. So one of the, I'd say one of the few bright spots this season has been uh, your former position mate, Ben Bresnahan, who is become Ken Seals, maybe his favorite target, especially over the last two games, wasn't used a ton in the opener, but the, over the last two games, he's been looking pretty good. How have you seen Ben grow from year to year? Yeah. Uh, and I, I love Ben. So Sean, I'll start this is a longer story than you intended, but Sean was really a mentor to me and we still talk all the time. Um, but him being the senior, me being kind of the, the freshman coming in, it, it kind of just, you kind of form a natural bond, right? And so I kind of wanted that same rela uh, relationship with Ben as well as, as Gavin Schoenwald, is another, the other tight end in their class. But Ben, ben came in early and he, he was definitely there physically, but the mental side of the game in terms of we ask our tight ends to do a lot. I don't know so much about their offense anymore, but especially in the Ludwig offense, our, our tight ends had to, we had a bunch of pre-snap jumps, bunch of pre-snap movements, a lot of routes, a lot of different blocking schemes. We were asked to do a lot. And so, I mean, that's a lot asking an 18 year old to, who kind of played in a spread offense in high school to come in and be, be a down, down, basically a down lineman sometimes. And so I think physically he was definitely there. He's a freak athlete. And so I took him a, a year or two mentally to like get to the point where like, okay, now I can play fast now because I know what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about it every time I line up. And I, that's a crucial part. And I think that takes everyone a couple of years. And I think that's why red shirt years are so common is you have to kind of get your feet under you. I know for me, it wasn't until in, until sophomore and junior year where I was like, okay, this clicks. Like, I know this front, I know what to do here. And that helped me play a lot better. Um, and so I think I, I tried to help Ben a lot with the, with the mental part of the game in terms of last year, especially. So I, I tore my ACL right after the Tennessee game, my junior year, I like caught, caught my first touchdown against Tennessee and then tore my ACL like four days later. It was like the biggest, biggest high to the biggest low um and so i rehabbed it as, as hard as i could but um i played only the georgia game last year and i mean it just didn't didn't feel right and i didn't it was extremely painful 
and I found that like I had actually like pulled my graft out a little bit like where it was anchored in. So it was a good thing I didn't continue playing, but I kind of transitioned in more to like a coaching role almost for the tight end. So I I really tried last year to get Ben mentally ready kind of for this year because obviously we had Jared last year who was going to do the majority of the tight end work. And so I knew this was a big opportunity for Ben. It's kind of his his room now. So I think I've been I've been really impressed with him so far just being able to play fast and being mentally ready for for the challenge because I think I think it's sometimes hard to go from that reserve role to that like prominent role and obviously you talked about uh, about Jared who's been you know he's with the Falcons now I know he's on their practice squad these days um what was it about his game that really made him stand out because he was an all SEC level performer you know was it just his athleticism was there anything else beyond that for you that really stood out about the way that he played yeah I think for Jared obviously he's a he's a physical freak I mean to be six four six five two sixty five and be able to move like that is a rare thing um but I think what really set him apart is he probably spent more time studying the outside linebackers and the defensive ends of SEC opponents and non-SEC opponents than any other person I knew. He really delved into film study and tried to learn what the kind of tendencies of both the people covering him and the people he had to block, what they were going into the game. So he, he really, I think what really helped him is he always had a plan of attack against the guy he was going against. And, I know that's 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 crucial for tight ends and for receivers and even for linemen is knowing knowing what the guy across from his tendencies are. Is he going to bull rush you? Is he going to try to spin? How does he fight a double team? That type of thing. Um, and I think Jared did a phenomenal job of that. And I actually give a lot of credit of that to Coach Ludwig, who he he coached. We had five different coaches six different coaches through four years in the tight end room well we were all over the place so we never went like we never went six months with like one coach so we but we had six months six months with Ludwig and I think both for me and Jared that was that was crucial and he kind of really taught us to look for those tendencies and um, he taught us more about football than I, I ever knew or thought you could know about about defense. So I think that was interesting and cr- good for him. Uh, one of our guests we had last week, Blaine Gabbard, that was something he kind of spoke about, uh, just kind of being a film junkie, obviously studying your opponents, you know, spending so much time in the in the same room as Tom. Um, and those and those guys just prepping week in and week out. And same thing for same thing for Blaine. I mean, he I don't know how many OCs he had. Uh, Matt can maybe give you the stats last week. It was like he's on his uh, he's on. Well, he had 10 in nine years. uh, And so, yeah, he's in his 10th season now. And it's the first time he's had the same head coach or the same offensive coordinator. He has been back to back years. Even oh who's on God. the same team. He got, some, he, he got some playing time last week, too. Yeah, he did. Uh, him and Keyshawn were out there together. Yeah, I was te- I, I text you, I'm like, they're in there together right now. I don't want to really- talk about that as a Packer fan. you know what before coming into that game the packers had the single greatest offense in in the history of the nfl in terms of points Uh, per drive i'm aware i'm aware i i I have plenty of packer fans in my life who were uh not happy about it uh but i I married a bears fan so you know she, she she was happy about it let's jump in let's jump in to what you're doing now um uh and obviously um and Cody, you started Turner's Heroes, correct? Yes. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah. Obviously, you know, Turner's Heroes, uh, you know, was was founded to honor the memory of your friend and roommate Turner Cockrell. So, for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the nonprofit, can you give a little bit of a backstory of sort of how it came to be and what kind of work you guys are doing right now. You know, everyone I think kind of knows about the Capes, which is a really cool thing. But let's talk a little bit about how it all sort of came to be. For sure. Um, so Turner and I were the two tight ends that came in in the 2016 class. And as as you can probably assume, being two freshmen in the same position group, you spend a lot of time together, especially your first year. Um, both 
you're you're running scout team next to each other, either playing the same guy or, or the, you're in the two tight end sets you're together. C- competing too. It's like this like weird yeah, like it is love weird. hate. Very weird. You know what I'm saying? It's like oh yeah. yes, I came I came in with a uh, Colton Nickter. I was actually a D lineman before I got moved over to O line my second year. But yeah, there is this kind of like unspoken like dude, you're my guy, but at also the same time you're like I got to do better than him. Like I don't oh. want to look bad. Like I want to sure. beat him and like every drill I want to like beat him to the cones or outwork him or whatever. Like there is this like kind of like unspoken like drive that both of you, like your freshman roommate has, especially when you're in the same position. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's exactly how I describe it. And it is, it is a weird, it's such a weird love hate thing. Like uh, as long as, as soon as you step outside of football, it's fine. But like, but you're so close. It brings you so yeah. close. It brings yeah, you so sure. close. Yeah, because you kind of yeah. get over. I feel like you kind of get over that like sophomore year. You realize like, oh, we play a lot of two tight end sets. Like we can both be on the field at the same time. <laughs> but um, so yeah, we got really close, and our kind of we had a pretty close knit group of friends and uh, guys like Cam Tid, uh, Drew Birchmeyer, who are still playing, and then like Deuce Wallace, who was one of the quarterbacks last year, Dario Dangbo, Cade Mail. We were always like really close like we were i mean you you were just kind of a group and so he got we were actually in the tight end room going into our sophomore year and he always had these like fatty lumps on the side of his neck and they were kind of benign and they there weren't really anything to worry about but uh nathan marcus and i who was the senior tight end at the time um we, we sat behind Turner, so we always had a really good view of, like, that area of his neck, right? Because we're watching film, like, over his shoulder. Um, you guys probably used so, to make fun of him, didn't you? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would. But, yeah, we did. <laughs> but then we were like, hey, man, those kind of look like they're growing. Uh, you should probably go get that checked out. Um, Was he like, you guys are full of shit? <laughs> Oh, 100%. He goes, no, I've been there for years. And, and so, yeah, we, we did joke about it a ton. Which, looking yeah. back, not great, but it's, it is what it is. But um, so he got them checked out, and they ended up actually being cancerous. So it was stage three melanoma at the time. So they cut out the tumors the following, I think, oh man, right after the season ended, so like late December. Um, and then that following spring, he had radiation therapy, which kind of took him for the first time away from football, which was, which was weird. Cause I mean, you're, yeah. you know, the locker room, like you're used to that guy yeah. next to you always being there. And then all of a sudden he's just like, not, and it, and you know, it's not cause he just like graduated. It's cause he's like going through cancer treatment. So that, that was really weird. He came around as much mm-hmm. as he could. He just didn't have a whole ton of energy. And so actually that spring, like the radiation was deemed successful and his cancer had like kind of subsided. Um, I think that was towards the end of the year. So we had a good time with that as, as you can imagine, um, Absolutely. Kind of celebrating that. Yeah. And I'm sure having his boys there to like keep him in good spirits. I mean, obviously we joke, like joke about that kind of stuff, but you <laughs> oh, know, sure. at, the, at the end of the day, you know, obviously the, the main goal is to keep spirits high, you know, oh, maybe take, well, you know, whether that's a distraction and just take your mind off of what's going no on. No one was making no one was making more self-deprecating yeah. jokes than him. And yeah. that was consistent throughout the whole process all the way yes. up to the end. Um, so, but following, he was getting like tired during training that summer. And so he had another scan and it showed it had um, spread to his lungs. And at that point, mm-hmm. there was really only experimental yeah. treatments that you could do to try to solve it. Um, so he had an experimental treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston um, and that was right around our first game of the year. And, and so the he, fans saw a lot of that too. You know, I, I was watching yeah. back, I, I was looking back on the, the Vandy Athletics, you know, YouTube channel. And uh, uh, a lot of that process was actually streamed through to the fans. You know, we were, felt like yeah. a big part of that as well. Like seeing Coach Mason talk about him getting transferred to Houston and how you guys were going to see him and stuff. And just, um, yeah. so I felt like as a fan, you know, Obviously, you lived it. You were there, but we felt like we were really involved in part of that process. Yeah, and so at that point, um, he went home just because he didn't have. It was better to be. I mean, we were at football ten hours a day, so like it's not like we were there mm-hmm. to like take care of him when he needed something, and he wasn't well enough to go out and get something if he needed it. So he went home, 
And that was actually the last time we saw him. I think it was right after the Nevada game when he got the game ball. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's when the fans were kind of let in to what, what it was all about. So he went home like very close to after that. And that was about two and a half months later when he passed away. It was, um, we beat Tennessee to get co bowl eligible on the Friday and we had our, or on Saturday and then we had our banquet on Sunday and we got a text from uh, Turner's mom saying it's probably going to be in the next two weeks. Um, which sucked really hard, as you can imagine. I can't um, but we, yeah, I can't yeah. As, again, and then so we had a plan to go down to Atlanta, drive down to Atlanta that following weekend. Um, but unfortunately, he he passed away on Thursday uh, before we could get there. So we ended up going anyway, um, and we spent the day with his family the day after he had passed. It was just like our close group of friends, all the guys I mentioned before, and that was awesome. And that honestly motivated me to like do something in honor of him because our whole, our whole conversation was about like how positive he was. And we were just telling jokes, telling stories about everything. Mm -hmm. And we were just laughing and having a great time, even though like obviously something incredibly sad had happened. Real quick, real quick. I'm going to interrupt real quick. I'm going to interrupt you. Is there a particular story or is there a, is there a memory that really sticks out to you? That's like one of your favorite memories of Turner. For sure. Um, So we, it was camp um, and there me, Cam, Drew and him kind of were in Morgan and Lewis's Highland Claude. We had like a four uh-huh. person suite. And so. Those are like uh, little rinky dink like dorm rooms, by the way, Matt, if you didn't know what those, those sure. dorm halls were. Um, <laughs> so we were gone literally all day. We left for football at five. Uh, we got back at nine thirty ten, 10. Um, and I assumed that. Uh, Drew or Cam was going to grab him as him snack. So we got snack going home every night. Um, yeah. And we always grabbed him one just because he didn't have a whole lot else to eat other than that, even though he never actually ate it because he had no energy to eat. But we forgot a snack one night and he goes, we get there and we all open the door. He goes, he goes, where the bleep is my, is my snack. And we're like, I like look at Drew and Cam. <laughs> you guys didn't grab his snack. <laughs> And, and he just he laid into us just mercilessly about not having a snack and how he had to sit there all day with cancer and like we oh can see if I just get him a snack like making us feel horrible and obviously he was laughing along the whole time so that that really sticks out to me the most about like how he was during his treatment is like he was always always going for the cheap laugh and trying to make us feel better throughout camp which was awesome but come on guys jeez. Yeah. yeah. Your life is so easy compared to mine. How come you couldn't do this for me? Right. Oh um, man. <laughs> but, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's a great yeah. story. And that's, I'm sure that's probably will stick with you the rest of your life, man. That's uh, oh, for sure. That's, that's, uh, that's too funny. But, um, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're, you're kind of no, just talking ahead. about, uh, no, so yeah, I kind of had the idea of doing something and then we went, we're at the Texas bowl, which is in Houston. So on Christmas day, actually, the group of us went to MD Anderson cancer center, met with his oncologist and she was awesome. Her name's Dr. Amy Hustle. And she, she's a gator, which she's a gator, which kind of sucks, but she was wearing Vandy stuff for us um, that day, which was cool. Um, But we actually dropped off a bunch of stuff for like this, a bunch of pediatric patients there. And I was like, Oh, we could definitely do something like this. So I kind of got the, started really thinking about it. And the following spring, I launched uh, Turner's Heroes, which, um, yes, we're, the one thing we do is tape designing events with the Children's Hospital. And we've done it here in Nashville and up in Madison, Wisconsin. And also, we should have events coming up in Atlanta, too, at Children's Health of Healthcare of Atlanta. Um, but we go in with student athletes, and we basically take a couple hours and design capes with kids. Um, with patients there and it's a ton of fun um and something else we do is we fundraise for pediatric cancer research so we've now funded two pediatric cancer research discovery grants at monroe carroll junior children's hospital and uh pediatric cancer focused endowment fund up at american family children's hospital in madison as well so that's that's the brief overview well i I gotta say that is absolutely amazing what you guys are doing um you know we used to obviously, uh, every program that I was with in college and also when I was in the NFL, you know, we'd go visit hospitals, uh, go visit cancer centers. We got to go to the, uh, 
you know, some children's hospitals and just seeing those kids' faces and, and even some of the young adults' faces, you know, going in there and just spending time, just yeah. any anything that can kind of take their minds off of what's going on in the real world and just have a chance to just completely, you know, have a good time and remember what it was like to be, you know, around friends and family and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that is absolutely phenomenal what you guys are doing. And obviously the, the amount of money that you guys are raising is just, it's fantastic. And, and that's an, that's something you guys should really, really be proud of. And that's yeah. changing a lot of people's lives, whether you probably realize it or not, you know? Yeah. And I love that you say that, um, the point about like how such a small thing for a patient like that can like go so far. Cause I think that was, that was really the primary reason of starting it for me, at least. I mean, I Turner, the times he struggled is when he was alone, when he was away from family or away from us. It was never when we were all yeah. together. and We were able to just like kind of live life and act like everything was normal. So being able to go yes. in and just like take take patients' minds off of the crappiness around them and just like make their worldview a little bit better just for a little bit, I think is something that is is really needed and also probably the most meaningful thing of it for me. So powerful. So it's so powerful to just have, you know, people are people who are surrounding you to just lift you up in a time of need. And obviously people listening to this podcast, people go, you never know what someone's going through, whether that's, you know, hey, you're diagnosed with mm-hmm. cancer, whether that's you're dealing with drugs and alcohol or whatever that might be. You got problems at home, you know, just taking a moment out of your day to just lift someone up. It goes such a long way. It's so much easier to be nice and uplifting than to be the Grinch 24-7. So, I don't know. That's always been my kind of attitude to have the kind of a positive outlook. But like you said, just, um, you know, you guys just being able to step into that role and, uh, you know, what may seem like a very small contribution of your time, it goes really such a long way for some of these uh for some of these kids and some of these young adults who are maybe going through something that, you know, not a lot of people understand. Yeah, for sure. And you guys have been doing a lot of uh, different events uh, when it comes to everything is around the number 82, right? Cause that was his, yeah. cause that was his number on the field, which my freshman year of high school, that was my number. So I was a little bit back when I was back when I was a smaller guy and still could play tight end before I had to move before I had to move into the offensive line. Um, but you guys have done like, you know, uh, like eight, what, 82 hours, 82 hours stuff, 82 miles, 82, yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think. Yeah. So obviously he wore 82. And so it was it is one one, a convenient number, because a lot of things that's like happened to be. 82 is just a good number. It's like almost exactly three days. It's like 50 uh-huh. miles on the dot. So like for a virtual race, like or virtual challenge, like 50 miles is perfect. So 82 kilometers, they're like, it makes a lot of things very easy, but yes. Um, what are some things, I guess, uh, what are some things that are going on now? Like, is there anything that you can, uh, share with people listening? How can we give back? Is there anything that's coming up events that are coming up? you know, websites that we could visit to, to get more information or maybe possibly contribute towards your guys' cause? Definitely. And unfortunately, it's a little difficult right now to do in-person stuff, um, obviously, because of COVID. Right. Um, we did have, like, this fall, we were going to do something at the spring game. We were going to do something with the baseball team during one of their weekends. So I'm hoping, praying, next year in 2021, that spring, we'll be able to do those things again. Um, but um, obviously, if you want to learn more, you can go to just www.turnersheroes.org. Um, all our social media channels are at Turner's Heroes, and that those can also link you back to our website. Um, and then in terms of things coming up, um, obviously, we we held a virtual event a couple, like a month ago with uh, over Zoom doing a cape designing event. And that was actually, it was kind of a test run to see if it worked. And it, and it worked pretty well. So we're hopefully going to do more of those um and continue to expand our reach and then we got a couple things in the works for uh next spring hoping it'll be a little more normal um and yeah 
Awesome. Well, uh, we'll also be linking to all those and all of our social media as well. So make sure you guys check out Terno's Heroes. Uh, donate if you if you are financially able to. It's obviously an amazing, amazing cause. Uh, you know, and make sure to stay up with them on the upcoming events to see how you can get involved as well. We as a podcast will definitely be staying involved with you guys. So, uh, however, we possibly can as well. So, um, come on, well, Vanderbilt community, step up your game. Yeah, we know you. <laughs> we we know you can. We know you can do. We know it's an amazing cause. So, and it's been so amazing. You know, I, I know you're not one to brag, so I'm going to brag for you. Uh, because of your work with Turner's Heroes, you've been recognized by the football program, the university, the conference, and this spring you got the biggest community service. Uh, award that the sec gives with the brad davis community service leader of the year uh what did that mean to you and to the memory of turner yeah uh i would say that i don't want to say it validated anything because i don't think it did but um i think it kind of allowed me to reflect on a moment how much we had done in a short period of time because I, I mean we didn't launch really till july that was what nine months later um so kind of allowed me to reflect on okay there are people who now who may have not known turner um they have not known what he'd gone through but they now know his story and they now know his name and so i think that's something that was really meaningful to me um just to kind of take a step back and realize okay i mean we've done so much good so far and it was a motivator to keep it going and keep expanding and keep, keep looking for new opportunities to help these kids and find new research opportunities. That's awesome. That that's really wonderful. So um, I think, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there uh, unless you have anything else to add here, uh, Ryan at the end. I, I don't think so, man. I just wanted to say again, how much, uh, how much we really appreciate you having you on tonight. I think, uh, I think uh, Turner's story and even, you know, obviously now the, the message that you guys are, are preaching is, uh, is one that a lot of people will be able to, um, a, a lot of people will be able to relate to, right. I mean, there's like I yeah. mentioned, people are yeah. going through, you know, a lot of stuff's going on in the world right now, especially, especially with COVID. Yeah. And I was going to say like, I even know I was, I was uh, I was telling my mom about it because my mom's a four time cancer survivor about um, about the you know about the foundation. She was so just excited to hear about it and read about its story. So I think that the more that, you know, you are able to, uh, you know, keep promoting it and keep raising money and awareness is just going to be, you know, all for the better. And hopefully, you know, for you, you are you know, you, you will help grow this as you know, uh, now that you have graduated from Vanderbilt and are going on to do bigger and bigger things. So that's really awesome. We really appreciate you spending some time with us and, you know, sharing your journey, sharing Turner's journey. And uh, hopefully we can go out there and uh, do some events sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And get a win against Ole Miss. Yes, that too. All right. Well, that's uh, it, man. That, that'll do it. So uh, before we get out of here, uh, anchor down. Anchor down. We got to hear you say it. Anchor down. Anchor down, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.